Welcome to the Roger Snipes Show. My name is Roger Snipes. I'm a lifetime natural fitness enthusiast with a key interest in physical and mental development, where science and nature create synergy, bringing you lifestyle optimization. This podcast is brought to you by Keon Aminos. Amino acids are the catalyst for nearly every physiological function, including protein synthesis. Unlike branch-chain amino acids, which only use three amino acids, Keon Aminos comprise of nine essential amino acids. A deficiency in one of them would have detrimental effects on muscle preservation. Keon Aminos have bioavailability and are clean. They don't have any artificial additives or preservatives. If you're looking to preserve muscle whilst losing body fat, then these are incredible. Check getkeon.com forward slash Snipes Aminos. That website link again is getkeon.com forward slash Snipes Aminos and use coupon code Snipes20 and get 20% off at checkout. As you probably know by now, the way to optimal health and fitness is through your gut. It's not what you eat, but it's what you digest that counts. Sometimes the body doesn't make enough digestive enzymes. This can slow the digestion process and lead to parasites and a whole host of issues. This is why I use masszymes. If I eat a steak or a huge plate of food, the last thing I want is for the food to ferment in my gut, increasing my likeliness of pathogens. Because of the aided digestion, masszymes can promote brain health and increased energy too. It breaks down fats, starches and sugars as well as proteins. For the ultimate digestive enzyme, reach for masszymes. Check out bioptimizers.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. That website link again is bioptimizers.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. Welcome to episode 23 of The Roger Snipes Show. Today I have a chat with Amanda Swain. Amanda is a nutritional therapist. She is also the founder of Nutritionists Blend, um, the brand responsible for the fasting plus sticks that contains coconut oil. Today we discuss about fasting, all types of fasting in fact, uh, more so focusing on intermittent fasting. Now, Amanda endured a tough start on her initial fasting journey and her story starts like this. When I started my initial fasting journey, I felt like the world's worst faster. As a nutritional therapist, I had all the knowledge and science telling me that this was the right thing to do. And yet, on a day-to-day -day basis, I struggled. The science stacked up, but the daily reality of sticking with a plan didn't. So I made it my mission to find a solution to make intermittent fasting easier for most of us. After two years of research and discussions with leading professionals in the field, I developed Fasting Plus, 
and wrote a beginner's guide to intermittent fasting. So your introduction to it can be easier than mine. All right, so let's introduce Amanda to the podcast. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, very well. Weather is good today. <laughs> it's been a bit all over the place it recently. Is. So um, today has been nice and I've taken great advantage, advantage of that and been out in the garden. What about yourself? Uh, yet to take advantage of it, but I'm planning to take advantage of it as soon as this is finished. Oh, okay, okay. I'll try and be quick. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't mean that, I promise. I didn't mean that. <laughs> so you're the uh, CEO of Nutrition, is it Nutrition's Blend? Is that uh, Yeah, Nutritionist Blend. Nutritionist Blend. Um, so I'm blend. founder and director. Bit too small to have a CEO yet, but um, one day, okay. one day I'll be the CEO. You will, you will. <laughs> and you're also a nutritional therapist as well, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's how I started out into this sort of nutrition world. Um, I qualified as a nutritional therapist at the Institute for Optimum Nutrition in Richmond, which is a four-year course. And basically how it works is when you see clients, you're a nutritional therapist. And when you're working with food, you're a nutritionist. So you get a qualification that allows you to flex both titles. Right. Okay. Okay. Cool. I, I prefer <laughs> nutritional therapists. You seem a bit more, I don't know, a bit more legit. <laughs> everyone's a nutritionist nice. now. Like every single PT yeah. does a, a two-week course. All of a sudden, like, you know, they're giving nutritional advice. Or someone who's done a... Um, a physique competition they get in a little bit of shape and then they become a coach and you know mm. saying that they're a nutritionist i'm like mm, I, mm, I don't know about that yeah. my friend you know Co coach is different coach is different it's more of a um it's not as an advanced qualification um and the word nutritionist still isn't legally protected um which is why you do get people who aren't qualified calling themselves nutritionists um but certainly the body that um, my sort of um, profession is well welded to. They are working with um, the dietitian, the Dietetics Association as well, to make sure that we are allowed to continue to use the term nutritionist and actually get it properly protected. Because at the moment it isn't. That'll be interesting to see how that pans out in the next few years. Yeah, yeah. So, what would be the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist well there's definitely overlap but the way i was taught it when i studied was that dietitians tend to work with the medical health care system so they get trained an awful lot on how certain diets need to work with certain drugs um, but they do have a very different philosophy to how nutritionists um, approach food and eating um, i think those two things are coming closer together um, but yeah, for me, nutritionist is about looking at your health holistically. You know, obviously food is how we help people, um, food, drink and lifestyle. Um, but it's more of a holistic approach to wellness and optimum wellness. Right. What about a uh, naturopathic practitioner? Definitely overlap there as well. Um, they, they basically believe that, you know, you can rebalance the body and then it will fix itself. And that is very similar to how we approach nutrition as nutritional therapists. Mm. So a lot of the um, professional side, 
they will also be looking after naturopaths as well. Okay. And those who deal with functional medicine, what do you call those people? Functional? Same, you know, functional medicine, functional practitioners. It's the same kind of stuff, to be honest. Um, We all practice the same models. Um, When I studied, um, one of the books was functional medicine. Cool. Okay. There are more advanced courses you can do. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I want to speak about today, or the main thing I want to talk about today, is something that you are very much an expert in, and that is this book right here. Oh, I am an expert in that book. (laughs) Intimate Fasting for Beginners. Um, Yes. Amazing book, by the way. I haven't gone all the way through it. I've got about 200 books I need to read, but this one was very easy, so I've gone (laughs) at least halfway through. But I have looked at many things there, which um, I weren't really familiar with, like the different types of intermittent fasting. I guess for me, I just kind of maybe jumped in the deep end and just thought, all right, let me see if I can narrow my eating window down and see the way I feel and clean up my diet a bit. And it's kind of fallen into a category of a cyclical keto intermittent fast. That's, that's sort okay. of like in a roundabout way what I'm doing. Not that I'm particularly following, I don't know, any, it doesn't have to be a certain regimen, but that's the way it's felt right for me right now. Um, so going into fasting, that's the main thing I want to talk about. What are the different mm-hmm. types of fasts are there? I know you know many. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, is, whew, yeah. How many different fasts are there? Are there many? Hundreds or Look, 15? Or... Yeah. All fasting means is sometimes not eating. That's all it means. So if you've got a way of doing that, you could arguably call that some kind of fasting regime. The ones that are always in the nutritional papers, the nutritional journals, so the science that we get all of our information from, they tend to fall into two main categories. So you get um, fasts called time-restricted eating, which is what you're doing, which basically means you time-restrict when you eat each day. So that might be the 16-8 is the most popular regime. So within that category, you could argue there are uncountable versions of that diet just within that type 24 hours. So I classically start off with a 12-12, as do you know, many other people that are in this area. 12-12 is really how our great-grandparents ate. So you eat all your meals within 12 hours each day. That might mean from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., something like that. And, and what you're roughly trying to do is kind of align that with light. So, you know, when you get up and it's light, eat, and then finish your last meal before it's dark. And obviously, you know, we're talking approximately, it's not literal, but um, you know, that's how our great-grandparents ate. It's a really good way of normalizing weight. So if you've got weight to lose, you'll probably lose a little bit of weight on that plan, but it's not about weight loss. It's just about balance. Can I just uh, it just interrupt for a second there? So a 12-12, <clears throat> yeah. if you're going to do from eight till eight during the winter time, that's going to be a bit difficult if you're going to do it before, you know, it gets dark because totally. it starts to get dark from around four o'clock so how yeah would... totally and it's approximate so you know all i'm trying to say is that our bodies have got a 24-hour circadian rhythm mm. and that roughly 
fits with when it's light and when it's dark. And when it's light, our bodies are supposed to do certain things. And when it's dark, our bodies are supposed to do certain things. But that transition period in the winter, for example, from 4pm to 8pm, if you're doing 8 to 8, it doesn't really matter. It's much better that you're eating at 8pm than at 4 in the morning or at 2 in the morning. You know, it's... Mm. It's just approximate. So you're talking about 12 hours. You choose your 12 hours. Try and get them within the daytime rather than in the middle of the night if your schedule allows. If it doesn't, you know, you do your best within that. Um, so that's kind of your starting point on a time-restricted feed, which is what you call it when you're talking about mice. And when you're talking about humans, you talk, call it a time-restricted eating plan. Right. Um, and then the popular one within that group that we hear about all the time is 16-8. So that's eating your meals within eight hours. Gold standard, two big meals in that time. And then the one I think you were doing for a while is called OMAD, which is one meal a day. So each day you eat one meal, a big meal. Doesn't have, you know, we're not talking about calorie counting or anything like that. You eat all of your meal within about a two hour window um, each day. And, and with that, it's very good for body composition. Um, and obviously for weight loss as well, if your body can get on with that because you're already fit and healthy and you know pretty well. So that's your first group of fasts. Your second major group of fasts are called periodic fasts, which are where you have periods of eating and periods of not eating. And you know, the obvious one is like an alternative day fast where you eat one day, don't eat the next. It could be a three-day water fast, any period of eating that's not regimented by the day that is called a periodic fast um five two falls into that category which is a really popular fast um and that's kind of that's kind of, they're kind of the main two types of fasting that are studied and um you know tested properly tested there's a third type that's coming up a bit more um and it has done for about the last five to eight years and that is to do with things that mimic fasting so Walter Longo and his team have brought out a diet called the fasting mimicking diet. Um, and that is basically recognizing that fasting is hard. So some people can't do that. So here's a diet plan for five days where you're eating, but you're effectively getting the benefits of fasting. And then, as you know, um, I've got a product called Fasting Sticks that also uses that science to let your body fast. But then you've got things that you can use while you're fasting that mimic fasting. So that's the third kind of area that is studied um, in fasts. Um, mm. Then the other things you might hear about might be things that people have created and have branded. Um, and there's loads of those. So they're literally, <laughs> they're the ones that are uncountable. There are lots of things out there that you can do. Right, right. So you mentioned about, um, obviously you have the fasting sticks, which you can take uh, during the fasting period and yeah. it doesn't break you out of a fast so what is classified as a fast that it doesn't break you out of a fast okay so that's a really good question um it depends on why you're fasting so if you are if you're doing a periodic fast which is like a three-day water fast or a 5-2 diet the fasting sticks and compounds that mimic fasting will keep you burning fat and going into repair mode, which is what your body is doing during that fast. And that's where all of your benefits are coming from. If you're doing the time restricted eating, like you are, um, and you have a fasting stick, 
you are still burning fat and you are still repairing, but your circadian rhythm clock has started. So what that basically means is if you're doing this for autophagy reasons, which I know is one of your sort of hot topics when it comes to fasting, yeah. you're, still, you're still doing all of that lovely repair. You're still heading towards autophagy. Um, so if people are doing fasting and one of the things they're really concerned about is sinking their circadian rhythm because their appetite's all over the place or um, their sleep cycle is all over the place, then they really need to be thinking about, well, when do I really need my clock to start? So just for everybody, one of the things I say, regardless of what fasting they're doing, take the fasting sticks during the day, you know, like when, when it's kind of like daytime, not kind of at three in the morning. And the reason for that is because if you switch your clock on at 9 a.m. by having a fasting stick or a keto coffee or something like that, your body's kind of synced anyway. You, you know, your circadian rhythm is supposed to be sort of starting up in that morning and finishing before you go to bed. So I'm less concerned about that. Um, but all, yeah, so it, it depends on your goals. Um, but then you've got people mm. who are going to fail if they don't have something to lean on because they're not fat adapted yet. They're really struggling. So I'd suggest they use tricks and tips like fat or fasting sticks or memetics to move them towards where they want to be and where they're in a position where they actually feel comfortable getting to midday every day, for example, without food. Um, and then they don't need them for a bit. Um, so it, it depends. Like for you, you can have them whenever you like because your goal is to do with longevity. And, you know, you are sleeping well you do have a fairly regular sort of rhythm to life, if that makes sense, in terms of night and day. So, yeah, you're, you're, in, a good, you're, a good, you're in a good position. There are certain clients that I'd be a bit like, okay, we have to be strategic. But, um, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so having those fat strips during your fasting window, you can still or until your meal time, you could yeah. still achieve autophagy. And it's yes. simply because it is fat and not carbohydrates or protein. Is that right? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so let's go back to basics. Um, whatever fast you're doing, your body is trying to move from burning sugar for fuel into fat and from growing into repair. Okay. Now, if we look at the <clears throat> burning sugar to fat, Carbohydrates take you out of that really quick. So if you have if you have something that's high in carbs, you're you're not burning fat anymore. You're back into burning sugar. And um, if you have lots of protein, same deal. If you look at going from growing into repairing, amino acids, so protein takes you out of that pathway the quickest. Especially like leucine and methionine, they're the two amino acids that everyone goes, oh my goodness, that's the one that's going to get you straight back into growth mode. <laughs> Um, so they're the ones people like paranoid about, but, um, it's protein in general. That's the problem. But then secondarily, that pathway can flick back to growth mode if you have lots of carbohydrates too. And for that matter, if you have lots of food full stop, you know, the amount matters because these are energy sensing pathways that are being triggered. Um, but if you're having a tablespoon of fat or the equivalent, then the fat is not sensed. If you're already fasting, your body doesn't sense that fat coming in. Um, and the memetics are helping compound what your body's trying to do during the fast by triggering sort of path. We thought originally when all this was discovered, 
that it, they, these compounds were doing exactly the same as what the body does when it's fasting, but actually they do complementary things to help the body get more effectively into fat burning mode and into cellular repair mode. Mm. And what we're now discovering is it's also offsetting some of the slight negatives of fasting um, for some people. So for example, it can temper. Um, so for example, if you put quercetin and um, resveratrol together, they, they help with autophagy and apoptosis, for example. They kind of balance those processes out. Um, Sorry, what are those? Oh, so autophagy obviously is when you're giving yourself a cellular cleanup. So mm -hmm. looking at the cell, taking bits of the cell, saying, right, that's, that's a bit tired, that's a bit damaged, let's recycle it and use those parts again. And it's doing lots of various types of autophagy. Apoptosis is cell death, so it's the whole cell killed, taken away, removed. Um, so it helps the body be a bit more selective. Um, yeah, there's lots of subtleties that if you put the two things together, we don't know enough, like honestly, the science is still evolving so fast. There's lots and lots to learn. Um, but what we are seeing is really interesting signs of these compounds offsetting some of the negatives of fasting, but also making fasting more effective because it's doing extra little things to help the body get into the modes that we're trying to get into naturally. Okay. So, all right. So if I have the occasional small amount of fat, then it's okay. But <laughs> what would be too much? If I start knocking back some nuts, would it be a problem? <laughs> yeah. Nuts are really high in protein. So that would definitely be a problem. for Okay. So if I started um, drinking oil, would it get to a point where it's like, okay, got to stop now because you're now out of autophagy like well, where is that toilets, point that wouldn't be ideal right um well look people do keto right so you do keto yeah. um keto sometimes is called fat fasting so if your goal for fasting and it always comes back to you, what is your goal because some people will say hang on this is nonsense as soon as you eat anything or drink anything that needs metabolizing you're not fasting anymore well dictionary definition they're right but the reality of the science is it depends on what bit you're looking at. So for you, if it's all about autophagy, you know, arguably you could have a keto diet and still be going in autoph into autophagy. But if you are fasting, so I don't know where that point is, because mm. actually if it's just fat, I think you'd feel poorly first before you're not in autophagy. Does that make sense? Right. Like you, you wouldn't be able to have that much fat without feeling really, you know, thrown into the battering. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, so there's so many different types of fast, but what would you say is the main benefits of fasting itself? Would you say it's autophagy or I don't know, losing body fat and, uh, becoming a bit more fat adaptable or yeah, fat adapted. What would you say is the main benefit? Well, yeah, for yourself or people. Yeah, yeah. I think in this day and age, the main issue is normal body weight. You know, I think an awful lot of us are, uh, are really trying to um, just stop putting on weight year on year. Um, so yeah. I think it's a really, you know, as we get older, we get fatter. Um, it's not <laughs> ideal, but it's happening to many of us, including myself. <laughs> so, you know, to keep doing, basically, I think that's, that's something that we're all interested in um, on a massive scale. So weight is a really mm. important one and energy levels are a really important one as well. Um, 
but then the third one is longevity so we want to live healthier for longer and there's still a lot we need to learn about that from fasting um but there's an awful lot we know already as well so when it comes to sort of thinking about benefits of fasting i kind of group them into two two groups the first one is anything to do with your metabolism so having a metabolism that works properly um so are you metabolically flexible enough to burn glucose and fat you should be you know this is not about just being a fat burner this is yeah. about being able to flip from one to the other and back and back and back so that you have really good energy whenever you need it it's there for you it's nice and stable um and, and what that's going to do is anything to do with metabolic disorder so things like weight gain um diabetes um you know energy like just energy dysfunction where you just you just don't have the energy to call on um mm. fasting is really helpful for sorting that out um because it can help get you back to being sensitive to the various hormones to do with with, with that process um, the other side of things is obviously all to do with all the repair mechanisms that are going on so if you're giving your cells a regular house clean you know year on year your cells should be operating pretty well and that should help you age better with less of the diseases that we're hearing about you know now we we should give ourselves a better chance of avoiding them because we're doing things like we're getting rid of chronic um low level inflammation which is kind of one of the the things that we find is a normal disease state for most diseases um so if we can resolve inflammation and just allow our bodies to use inflammation appropriately you know Information is a good thing, but not not chronic inflammation all the time. Yeah. Um, it can it can just help with things like cardiovascular disease, um, cancer. Um, there's loads of things to do with the brain and fasting as well, which is really exciting. So, you know, how do we make sure that our brain is having a regular tidy up, a regular clear out, um, and it's operating properly? And and fasting is absolutely part of that. So, you know, I'm thinking that. And a lot of people think this and there's a lot of science behind it that i don't want alzheimer's i don't want parkinson's i don't want my brain to get worse as i age you know i don't want that to be a side effect of aging and, mm -hmm. and fasting is just one of those things you can do to help help your body restabilize like be be operating like it was designed to you know not growing after we're fully grown all the time because we know that is associated with aging um, you know, we, we're designed to burn sugar short term, you know, after dinner, burn some sugar, fabulous. Uh -huh. And then once that's gone, you burn fat and you should be able to do that seamlessly back and forth, back and forth. Um, and a lot of us have just lost the ability to do that. And especially if you're overweight or, or bigger than that, so obese or morbid, super morbidly obese, you know, it's so difficult to get back to realizing how your body is supposed to respond to food and energy and see stores of energy around the body um so mm -hmm. for somebody who's battling with obesity like it's it's so difficult for them to kind of get back to a normal weight um and but fasting can do it but it takes an awful lot of willpower and support and doing it properly and knowing what they're doing yeah 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 it's got to be a real emotional battle like oh, for someone who's obese i mean you know, the moment they start losing weight, um, 
toxins could also get released in their body from their fat as well, okay. which can make them feel, feel sick, like, you know, energy levels all over the place. Um, you know, uh, the psychological battle of, you know, their brain telling them also their leptin levels is going to be all over the place as well, isn't it? Um, you know, well, like, like with insulin, you know, you can become insensitive to leptin. So, you know, leptin is the measure of fat stores across the body. So when you run out of sugar stores, so insulin goes down, that's what should happen. Your body should then increase its level of leptin uh, in, in line with the amount of fat stores you've got available, as in you're safe to burn fat because there's enough on you to use. Um, if, but if, if your body's not sensitive to insulin and your body's not sensitive to leptin, what basically is happening is when those people are trying to fast, um, they run out of the sugar stores, their body cannot see those fat stores. So the body panics. So the body thinks it's starving and sends all of those cravings and all of those kind of like eat now, eat now messages to, to these people. Because as far as the body senses, the leptin and uh, can tell, you, you don't have any energy left and you need energy to survive. So you're being told to eat. If you can resolve, if you can make your body sensitive to leptin again, sensitive to insulin again, your body can see those stores. And then that person will be able to, over time, understand what it really feels like to be normally hungry and not hungry. And sort yeah. of be able to make better choices because their body's allowing them to make better choices rather than just having to, you know, rely on loads of willpower, which is so hard. Mm. Do you believe in willpower? I think it's useful. I don't think you can just rely on willpower for weight loss. It's a long journey. You know, if people have got some significant weight to lose or even just a stone or something to lose, you know, that's not a short thing to do. That is not something you're going to be doing in a few weeks. Um, and to rely on willpower day after day, I think, I think you're setting yourself up to fail, unfortunately. So I think willpower yeah. is important to a, to a degree. Um, but then you also need to have strategies and a plan in place to actually navigate things that are coming up, whether it is toxins from fat being released into your system. So, for example, by having a really strong nutrient-dense diet to offset fasting time with a really good eating time, that's going to help you deal with those toxins coming out of your body. Um, if four o'clock is the problem, like, you know, what are you going to do at four o'clock that doesn't involve a snack? figure that out just little things like that that just allows people to navigate those tricky spots we'll, we'll have so, them i wanted to ask what about beginners um what would mm. you say is the best intermittent fast for a beginner they want to they want to start they're used to eating <laughs> perhaps for 15 hours a day i think i was doing okay. that uh, 15 hours a day moment <laughs> i woke up food like within the first yeah. half an hour and close to bed I was eating. So it was a bit of a transition. What would you say is the best thing for people to start doing as, um, as a protocol for intermittent fasting? Well, I think what you just did was brilliant, which is you acknowledged where you were starting from. So I think that's the first thing somebody's got to do. They've got to work out where are they starting from? If they're eating for 15 hours a day, six times a day, you know, to jump into a one meal a day regime, however fit and healthy they are otherwise, probably not going to work. So um, I'd say the exception is a 25-year-old normal-weighted guy who's healthy, 
who eats three meals a day, they can probably do what they like with fasting because they're not going to feel the symptoms. They're probably going to be fine. They're young, they're fit, they're healthy. They're not over-exercising. You know, that, they're fine. They can do what they wish. You know, they have my permission. Go and do a 16-8 off the bat or a one meal a day if you like. Fine. For everyone else, um, start slowly. So if you are eating six times a day, get that down to three. Um, cut out snacks. Um, and that's not an easy feat, by the way. So yeah. that's going to take some time. Because you try know, and work towards many people, let's say competitors or people trying to build muscle. One of the things you're taught from the very beginning is that you need to eat very, very often. You know, it's going to mm. have a real anabolic approach on your body. And that's, that's something that's been drilled in you. So to the thought process of now reducing the snacking, that is, um, that's a big lifestyle change, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It's not, and it's not super simple. So, you know, if you can, the, the thing I say to my clients when they've got that kind of lifestyle um, and we're trying to get them to three meals a day is don't just not have your snacks, move your snacks into your meals. So if you normally have, well, I don't know, um, a whey protein drink at 11 o'clock, have that after your breakfast. If you normally have um, a chocolate bar at four o'clock, have that for pudding for lunch and sort of work it through that. So you're not feeling like you're missing out, but you're still trying to get your body used to having those gaps. And then obviously we'd look at kind of what is that diet like? Um, do they need to lean less on refined carbohydrates? Because as you know, when you move into fasting, um, the more you're starting from a kind of like reliance on sugar in your diet whatever form you're going to find you're probably going to come up with more symptoms when you're starting out fasting so if you can get kind of to a lower carb or a more whole food type approach to food that should make your transition into fasting easier and what that's also going to do is a brilliant side effect is any nutritional deficiencies you might have by eating really well you should be able to top those stores up before you start fasting because you don't want to be fasting when you've got deficiencies because that that's not that's not ideal mm. um so three meals a day then if that's achievable or if you're towards getting that to be achievable try and do that within 12 hours and then from that point you just have to reset figure out where you are go is this easy is this good is this working for me i'm feeling like this is sort of doable i can take it up a level and then it depends on what you want to do. So some people want to do something every day, like 16-8 is really good for sort of body composition and fat loss, but it's quite tricky. A lot of guys get on really well with that. Women probably more would prefer like a 15, 14-10 uh, to start off with. That would be an easier sort of interim. Mm. But then there are some people that don't want to think about fasting every day, which is fair enough. So something like a 5-2 could be a really good way of doing that. But I would recommend having all those calories in one sitting um, rather than... So when you say 5-2, what is that exactly? If you could just explain that. Sure. Okay, so five days a week, you eat completely normally. So however you eat, carry on. Um, ideally 12 hours, but, you know, regardless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then on two, two, two days a week, any days, they don't have to be consecutive, but they can be if you wish. Um, you have a day where you eat less than 800 calories so um the latest science is showing you want to be eating those calories in ideally one sitting if you can't manage that two sittings is, is okay while you're getting used to it um 
but you're doing that twice a week. So for example, um, when I started out, that was one of my favorite regimes and I would do it on a Tuesday and a Thursday. But then if I had a um, dinner with friends on a Thursday, I would move it to a different day. You know, it wasn't the end of the world. So it gives you a bit more flexibility. Yeah. But what the trade-off, I suppose, is, and it, you know, it doesn't matter. You can choose whichever one works for you. The trade-off is if you're doing a daily regime, after about 30 days, your body starts helping you out. So, you know, the hunger reminders kind of lessen. Um, whereas if you're doing 5-2 every week, you're kind of starting anew. Um, so you're still going to get that kind of ghrelin response. And, you know, you are missing probably like two meals a day if you're doing it ideally, which is the gold standard of eating all the calories in one sitting. So by the time dinner arrives and that's when you're eating your 800 calories, for example, you can be really hungry. Um, so obviously you could do that by just shifting the, the calories to lunchtime, but then you might find you're going to bed hungry. So, you know, you just have to play around with what, what works for you and, and you can switch between routines. So it's not like you've started on one and that's you for life. Yeah. 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 Just find what works really. Try one, yeah. see how it goes. If you fail, it's all right. No worries. <laughs> you learn, yeah. you know, it down, try again you're still failing, then maybe take a couple of steps back and think, all right, maybe the approach which I'm making needs to change. I need to alter it slightly. Um, what I found- Or your diet or your lifestyle around the edges. You know, they're the two things to think about. You know, just like exercise, fasting is a mild stressor. So if you exercise and you're already stressed because you're not sleeping well, the kids are kind of causing you loads of stress, whatever's going on in your life, you then go and do a really hard session on top of all of that, you're not going to be putting on the muscle. You're going to be actually losing the muscle. It's the same with fasting. If you're already chronically stressed, do not fast. You're not going to get the benefits you're seeking. You're going to get the opposite. You're much better having a day off and going to sleep. You're having a nice good night's sleep and then trying again tomorrow. Mm, mm, that's interesting. So, you know, if you're stressed, not worth doing it. Okay, so talking about that, mm. um, Fa can can fasting heal sickness though obviously that's that's like a major stress on the body um sickness itself is a major stress on the body so mm -hmm. can fasting make it worse or could could it could you heal could you heal from that can it can it heal disease what's what's your take on that so both, really. It depends on what the disease is. It depends on what the illness is. Um, you know, when animals are sick, they don't tend to eat. They tend to just not eat and they, they heal themselves. And I think that's one of the very old kind of medical tenets, which, you know, Hippocrates used to talk about, for example, was like, only when you're sick, it may make you worse. Hmm. Now, in terms of healing diseases, it depends on the disease. It depends on where people are within that disease state. So, for example, when we talk about... Um, brain health and dementia I'm not suggesting that you get somebody who's in really advanced stages of dementia to start fasting that, that is not helpful um, but if you're trying to kind of avoid getting those illnesses in the first place it's great as a technique to give yourself a better chance of staying well for longer um, there are certain diseases that um, you know a lot of the science is saying it can be very helpful to fast 
um, but you have to know what you're doing. So for example, you can't just say, oh, fasting for cancer is really helpful when you've got cancer because for some cancers it can be really helpful and some cancers it can be really unhelpful because some cancers will be using one type of energy, like source of energy like glucose or fat or whatever, and some cancers will be found and removed from the, by the immune system using autophagy but some cancers will have found a way to use autophagy to their benefit so cancers right. are a really kind of tricky one what um, about diabetes like type 2 diabetes yeah really good question so type 2 diabetes yes fasting can absolutely be part of the pro protocol to turn diabetes around uh, and there's a few reasons one is um it can obviously get you sensitive to insulin again two it can help you lose weight and when you lose weight um we know that type 2 diabetes instances go down. Um, uh, yeah, so for, I'm trying to think how else to describe the diabetes one. Oh, pancreas. So obviously your pancreas is where your insulin and your glucagon um, is secreted. So two hormones that deal with um, using sugar um, from either the bloodstream or from the liver. Um, and when you've got type 2 diabetes, quite a lot of people who have type 2 diabetes will have pancreases that aren't working for whatever reason. One reason is actually, as you've put the weight on, the fat has got laid down around your pancreas so that it's not work, it's not able to work properly. So as you burn that fat off, and, and we know that fasting does target um, visceral fat first, so fat where it shouldn't be, um, mm -hmm. that includes fat in the pancreas, so that will allow that to work more effectively again helping with type 2 diabetes because it's starting to help with the hormone release of insulin and um, glucagon but then also mm. autophagy can help fix the pancreas as well with various repair mechanisms so that is another reason it's sort of helping resolve type 2 diabetes but a really important a couple of really important watch outs of type 2, two diabetes and fasting one go to your doctors first if you have type 2 diabetes and you are thinking about fasting really important key reason um, you're probably taking drugs to um, deal with the side effects of diabetes and um, if you just keep your drugs at that level and start fasting you're risking having a hypoglycemic um, incident Right. Which is where your blood sugar goes really low and it's dangerous. It's not good for you at all. So you need to get your meds adjusted. Um, and then what was the other second thing? I've forgotten what it was. So metformin, which is the drug. What metformin is what um, people with diabetes take? Yeah, quite often. And, right. and um, obviously what it does is it lowers your blood sugar. But if you were then fasting on top of that, it could lower it too much. People right. can become quite poorly. Can, um, is, is it only people who have diabetes that use that? Is, is there anyone else that can <laughs> use that? There is a little bit of a biohacking thing. I've heard that so many times and I'm like, what is that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's because it has been associated as um, a longevity enhancer. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's one of those. But for me, you know, you know me, I'm food first and it's yeah. a drug so yes it might be a good drug but i still think you have to be careful Got you. um so you know everyone do their research decide themselves but for me it's a no <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and then the other thing is people who've got type 2 diabetes 
when they start fasting, they're going to find it harder because they are going to be having to, that was said really poorly, but they're going to have to resolve insulin resistance in order to get their body to burn fat. And, and when you're not metabolically flexible, as you're not when you've got type 2 diabetes, when your body runs through the, sh the blood sugar and it runs through the liver sugar, it's then going to get to a stage where it can't see the fat and it can't get into the fat quick enough. So that sort of transition period, that, me that middle time is when it really, really hurts. And for people who haven't got type 2 diabetes but have been a bit stressed or a lot stressed or you know, have got a diet that's slightly high in sugar or whatever, they're going to find the symptoms bad enough. So for someone with type 2 diabetes, please go and see your doctor. Please go and get some support as you start fasting because it's not, you know, it's a brilliant thing to do, but you need, you need support. Would it be a normal doctor? Would they need to go to a naturopathic doctor or one who specializes in functional medicine? Because do GPs understand that? Like for the medication, they need to go to their GP, definitely. Right. Mm -hmm. um, for them being, for them having sort of um, somebody to support them in their fast, it would be ideal to go to a nutritional therapist, a naturopathic, you know, somebody within sort of that wellness space to support them through that. Um, mm. Yeah, both. Cool. cool. Uh, what circumstances would you suggest the person to not fast? Okay, besides, there are some really important ones. Mm. Yeah, okay, besides? Um, besides, uh, I don't know, some sort of chronic disease. Um, yeah, what other ones would there be? Okay, so if you're still growing, and that means you're a child or you're pregnant, you know, you need to be in growth mode, you need to be growing, you need to be eating. So don't worry about fasting for that bit. Um, if you have currently anorexia, bulimia, or some kind of eating disorder, or previously, and this is where people forget it, or if you've previously had anorexia or bulimia, don't go near fasting. Um, mm. The reason for that is because obviously it can have a mental trigger, which can not be helpful, but also um, we know that it can, though that group of people can have their electrolytes imbalanced quicker um, because of that previous disease they went through and um yeah so fasting can be dangerous for that group of people so don't do it if you've got or had anorexia or bulimia um, if you are still super stressed so it could be chronic fatigue could just be an awareness that you have got an awful lot on your plate and you're not really coping putting stress on stress is not good so you mm. know get get well first you know eat really well sleep really well and then once you're better from stress then you can look at fasting you know whether it's probably to get rid of the tummy that you get from cortisol um so that's a good thing to keep in mind don't do it until you're better um what else have we got if you've got medications that you have to take three times a day with meals unless you can make those meals work with a fasting regime you've got to be careful mm. you've got any diseases that you think this potentially is an issue your doctor first covid19 maybe maybe not <laughs> <laughs> well to, to avoid it there's you know a little bit of not eating eating is not a bad way to go but um yeah so just um you want to be switching on the cleaners and then switching them off so yeah um, you know that, that's so one good. thing i was thinking about because um just just quickly um Ooh. at the beginning of this year i thought okay what i'm going to do to advance advance my fast i'm going to do at least one water fast a month 
but then this COVID-19 just started spreading and going crazy. You know, I started reading a bit more on, on, um, on fasting and, you know, anything along the lines of an extended fast could be deemed as quite unsafe. And I don't know whether that falls in uh, extended fast. If it's just 24 hours, would it be too much? Would it be too, uh, too chronic for my body during this time? What's your thoughts on that? So for me, an extended fast, um, unless you've got a medical reason for doing them, I'm not, or a spiritual reason, you know, there can be other reasons to do it. And I absolutely respect people for doing that. Um, I wouldn't personally do an extended fast um, longer than two days. And I know that COVID aside for a second, um, your main reason for doing this is autophagy and longevity. And that the magic number is um, somewhere around the 24, 36 hour mark. So for you, I wouldn't really want you fasting any more than 36 hours once a month or once a quarter if, if you decided to mix your regular regime in with a longer fast. Um, for COVID, I think anything that's going to suppress your immune system, you just got to keep in mind because what you're looking for is you're looking for a balanced immune response. So we know that, that there are lots of issues with people dying from COVID-19 from the disease, but also from an overreaction of the immune response. So you know, you don't want to under-respond and over-respond. That's not ideal. Um, so mm. for all of us kind of like healthy kind of people, if you've got any deficiencies that you know about that are linked with healthy immune response, so, you know, classic D, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, mm. all of those classics, if you know you're a bit deficient, then eating a healthy diet with those nutrients in is a good thing. Doing long, long fasts is probably going to suppress your immune system, so I wouldn't be doing it at this time. So but I think hour. being stuck at home for you normally, but again, you're on lockdown right now, like we all are. So, you know, is that practical? It's, I would say it's safe, but is it practical? Um, you know, I, I can't imagine that being particularly brilliant to do anything more than 24 hours on lockdown. You know, okay. food is the but it would be all right if I was to do one 24 hour water fast. It would be fine. It would be okay. fine if that's what you wanted to do. Cool. But cool. it'd also be fine if you had, you know, three meals a day. <laughs> <laughs> We're in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. So um, how many did we get through for the um, circumstances in which you shouldn't ah, fast? Good point. So let me just check that this is obviously a really critical one. There's, I just don't want to miss anything off because it is, it's super safety is important. All right. Do we put this down? Uh, okay, so we've done that. We've done blood pressure, hypoglycemic or low blood pressure. Obviously, one of the benefits of fasting is it can normalize your blood pressure and um, normalize your blood sugar. But if you're already low on those two things, either because you've been particularly stressed or you know whatever reason, fasting will make that more pronounced. So if you're hypoglycemic or hyper, um, yeah don't don't fast um mm. or at least do it very 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 gently type 1 diabetes um again you can have a hypoglycemic attack so you're better off if you want to get some of the benefits i would do my research on type 1 diabetes for that that'd be my advice or fasting mimicking diets there's some really interesting stuff coming on around type 1 diabetes and fasting mimicking diets so if that's you go research see what you think it's still very new so you've got to make your own mind up. Um, and then the next category was people who are okay to fast, but need to check 
first. So type 2 diabetes fits in that because of the medication checks they need to do with their doctor. Mm. Um, people with thyroid, same reason, medication. Um, breastfeeding. So if you're a mum and you're, you know, you've all, you, you got pregnant and you're already overweight, you've piled on the pounds and you know that you're breastfeeding, but you're still not in a good category. It's not just a little bit of baby weight you're carrying. It's, it's more than that. If you, if you decide that fasting is right for you during breastfeeding, I would recommend working with somebody to make sure that you and the baby are getting all the nutrients you need whilst you're breastfeeding. So it's okay as long as it's done really carefully. And I'm talking gentle, you know, probably three meals a day, no snacks, but those meals need to be packed full of nutrients and you know, the, the liquid needs to be there and all that sort of stuff. So mm. again, you can do it if you needed to. Um, but if you don't need to just give yourself a break while you're breastfeeding for goodness sake. But for some people that is, it's healthier for them to actually have a regime around that. So that's up to, that's up to the individual. Um, oh, and also just on that point, I think it's really important to remember that if you are a new mum who's overweight and you're not sleeping because you've got a new baby or you're stressed because you've got a new baby, that's still stress. Like, give yourself a break. Don't worry about fasting during that time. Just eat well, get some sleep, figure it out later. Um, so that's just a... And the final category was if you're over 70. So the science for the over 70s is still a little bit question marked. And that's because if you're over 70 and you fast, you're getting less opportunities to eat well. And that can include protein. So what we find with that category of people is, especially if they're brand new to fasting, um, they could lose muscle mass. And if you're over 70, new to fasting, losing muscle mass, not helpful. So um, if you're over 70, go and see someone to help you do that properly because fasting could be really useful. Um, but you need to make sure you're eating enough protein during your meals. Mm -hmm. that's it. So I'm just wondering to myself, when you're at an older age, your, your muscles diminish at a much faster rate, isn't it? Digestive enzymes goes down. Um, it's a tough one trying to find that balance in the middle there. Well, I'm not 70, so I don't need to think about that just no, yet. No, but you'll be, I think if you carry on as you are, you'll be all right because, you know, you've got a fasting regime already. You know, you've mm. got a fasting regime when you're younger. So your body should be metabolically flexible enough to burn sugar, to go back into fat. And mm. that in itself will allow your body to protect your muscle. So, yeah, I think if you're new to fasting, you're over 70, get some help. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> What about um, women? There's this, I've had women ask me about, about fasting, how they should do it, and will it affect my hormones? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll yeah. try and find out for you. And I, I never have. <laughs> but now's my okay. opportunity. You are a woman. <laughs> and you are an I expert am. in fasting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so, um, the good news for all the ladies out there is fasting is harder for us. So um, if your boyfriend or husband or um, work friend who is male is saying, I'm better at fasting than you, the chances are they are. Because bio biologically, as a species, um, us women have a more energetic role to play in bringing forth the next generation. So, you know, if, if I got pregnant, um, my husband wouldn't expect, you know, he wouldn't expend much energy in terms of that nine months, whereas I would obviously have to expend lots of energy. So obviously there are lots of things in place to protect our ability as a species to reproduce. 
sounds very kind of like, like I talk about petri dishes, but there we are. <laughs> so what that means is there are lots of things in our biology that if women, if we start getting a bit low energy because we're not eating and we're fasting, our body's going to give us much more of a shove to say you need to eat than to a guy because the risk isn't perceived biologically as big for a man than it is for a woman because they can still reproduce with lower energy and lower fat, whereas we need to hold them to more fat and have more energy to do that. And what that basically means is we've evolved, when we fast, there is a neuropeptide, so basically a messenger molecule in the brain called kisspeptin. And when men and women fast, that level drops. But we, women, have massively higher levels of kisspeptin than you guys. So the percentage drop is about the same, but the actual volume drop is different. And what that is doing is it's sending a more significant message to us. So, you know, if in every other way you and I were the same, I would still feel fasting more intensely than you would. So I would be hungrier, grumpier and more tired than you would, assuming everything else was, was the same. Um, and the other thing, obviously, is if, if women are still in their reproductive years and fasting too much too quickly or they've just gone a bit too far on it and they're doing loads of exercise as well blah 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 not sleeping whatever it can affect our periods so you know ladies if you are tracking your periods and they are late or they've stopped you're probably doing too much fasting so just bring it back and the other thing is the week before your period is when we're going to struggle the most so you know if that's you and if that's affecting your cycle just don't fast the week before your period. So mm. I think the key thing is for women is be gentle on yourself, um, be kind. And if your body's saying this ain't working, just stop. Reassess, is there a pattern? Is it to do with sleep? Is it to do with your cycle? And just, just go back a step. Um, maybe take a week off and then try again. Maybe go back to an earlier program that's easier and try again. Um, but yeah, it is different, genuinely different for women versus men. Well, they tend to crave a bit more, I don't know, junk food possibly during that time leading it's up to... It's just energy. Uh -huh. It's just we're going to be getting more, we're going to get more of those messages to eat than you guys are. So right. the craving can be anything, you know, it... it's it's basically energy. So I'd expect it to really be carbohydrate based. Mm -hmm. um, if the person you're talking to is saying that they just feel really lethargic and they've been previously stressed or they've previously had an eating disorder, they might, and this, this, this applies to guys too, actually, but to a lesser degree. Um, the other trick is if your urine is completely water clear, you might just be losing loads and loads of minerals. So have you ever heard of the cortisol steel? No. Okay. So... There is um, all of our sex hormones and all of our stress hormones are made from the same big hormone in real simplistic terms. And if in order to sort of like, again, it's a survival mechanism. If we weren't able to create loads of stress hormones when we needed them to run away from the, like, the tiger, for example, we would be more likely to die than if we couldn't have enough testosterone or enough estrogen, for example or enough aldosterone, which is your water balancing hormone. So what happens is the cortisol steel, if you are stressed or in stress mode too much, maybe from not sleeping, exercising too much, dreadful diet, work stress, whatever it is, 
your body is going to prioritize, prioritize your stress hormones. So it's, it's called the cortisol steal. Cortisol will steal that big hormone from the top of that cascade and go, that one's mine. And that will affect your testosterone levels, your estrogen levels, and your water balancing hormone levels through aldosterone. Um, so if you've got somebody who, it might, be, it might be salt they need, and it might be de-stressing they need. So that, and that's not gender specific, but you know, it, it depends what people are coming to you with, they're things to consider. Right, right, okay. Hmm. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot to take in. What about, um, <laughs> what about children? Like, um, I know you mentioned um, kids are not really supposed to fast. Well, if they are obese, would it be suggested at all? Or would that be more focused on a certain type of diet as opposed to intermittent fast? So for me, children are children and they should be growing. Um, now, if they are overweight, um, I would definitely focus on maybe the 12 hour trick because that's, health, that's healthy for anybody. Eat all your meals in 12 hours try and get rid of snacks so three meals a day 12 hours that's probably as close as i would go to fasting for an overweight child if it was a child that was significantly obese you know it's really really putting an awful lot of strain on their health then i think with input from the doctor lots and lots of tests input from a sort of a, a nutritional therapist functional doctor something like that there might be a role for it but I think you've got to really weigh up the advantages of putting them on a fast because you really want a child to be getting used to healthy eating habits and not getting obsessed with kind of like, well, I don't eat breakfast or this. I'd just be really, just, I'd be really careful with that for so many reasons. Um, mm. I think if it was a patient of mine, or a client of mine, sorry, I would do the 12 hour trick, three meals a day, and I'll be looking at the composition of what they're eating and really being trying to get them to eat real food, trying to get rid of anything that sort of we would classify as junk food or ultra processed food, um, try and move them away from too many carbohydrates. Um, and hopefully that would start moving the needle. Um, but I think snacks, processed foods, that, that would be the things to focus on rather than getting them on some kind of fast i think yeah. it would be detrimental yeah yeah i guess that makes a lot of sense they are going through that growing phase so then to restrict them and could start to cause a little bit of maybe psychological damage at an early age and um persist into their adult years i guess um it depends on the individual though you know so yeah but i, I would be i would be careful yeah yeah what are some typical um, fasting myths that you've known of? <laughs> well, I think the classic is as soon as you wake up, you need to eat. You know, that's what, that's what you've got to do. We, we're taught as kids, it's what you've got to do. You get up, straight downstairs, have your breakfast. Um, that is, for me, a bit of a fasting myth because people quite often when they start fasting, they don't eat straight away. And they're like, well, surely this can't be good for me because I always eat straight away. And the reality is hmm. eating straight away is not what we're designed to do. Um, when we wake up, we're woken up by one of our stress hormones as part of the cascade, actually two of them, uh, cortisol, a little bit of adrenaline. And cortisol is 
designed to make to to release um, insulin. So you know we're not going to be massively sensitive to insulin on waking. And obviously, insulin is putting sugar where it needs to go. One of its roles. Um, we're designed to wake up, go outside, hunt for our food, then eat breakfast. You know that's kind of like more natural with our with bodies um, in terms of how we've evolved hormonally to be eating food and um, yeah you should be getting up an hour later fine have breakfast you know breakfast can be really useful especially um, if you're following like an ideal fasting plan you know eating breakfast and lunch and foregoing dinner would be you know the gold standard for many people but just still give yourself an hour upon waking just to let your body resolve that cortisol uh, and that insulin so that your body can then really digest that food um, so that's probably one of the biggest fasting myths that's around. Um, mm -hmm. The second one is probably, I can't fast. Isn't that starvation? You know, I'm going to waste away. Um, and they are different states. You know, I'm not suggesting starvation is good for you. It is not. Um, but starvation is when your body doesn't have the nutrients it needs to power that fasting phase. So if you are deficient in a load of stuff, you could argue that is more like a starvation mode than a fasting mode. So this is why before I want people, before I, I say, for example, it was a client of mine, before people start a fasting regime, we want to be working through any nutrient deficiencies they've got because that, that is not ideal. Um, but the, the, the pathways of fasting are very different to the pathways of starvation. Starvation is when your body starts breaking down and eating itself. And that is, not what we're looking for when you fast. So starvation and fasting, different things. Right, right. What about people who are, let's say, their body type is an ectomorph and it doesn't matter how much they eat, for some reason they're still slim, but they've decided, you know what, I don't really want to try and put on weight anymore, but I want to start fasting. And their diet is pretty good, you know, it's nutrient dense, yeah. they're getting some good sleep you know, following all the biohacks, <laughs> they want to now <laughs> move over to fasting. What would your take be on that? So if they start losing weight in a fast, they need to be aware of that and, and sort of go back a step. Um, so if they haven't got any weight to lose, plane going overhead. Um, if they haven't got any weight to lose and they start fasting and they start losing weight, they need to be accepting that they need to do something about that. So one thing they could do is just eat more when they are eating. So just, you know, pack that eating window. Um, the other thing they need to be thinking about is, is that eating window too short? Uh, you know, do they need to widen it so that they are still, because I, I understand like people who are slim still want to fast because it can help you age better. So, you know, why wouldn't you want a piece of that? You've got to make sure that a few things are still happening. So, are you, are, you, are you able to maintain your weight? If you're not, eat more in your eating window or extend your eating window to a longer period of time. Um, the other thing I'd say is keep an eye, you know, and this is, for pe this is not just for that group of people, that's for also for people who are already kind of like at the low end of normal. So people who are you know, normal weight, but they're the low end of normal. Um, Quite often I have clients like that who are fasting for longevity and health reasons, not for weight loss. So we're not looking at weight loss at all. We're actually making sure they're not losing weight when they're fasting. Um, 
what I find with that group of people is they say, but I'm just not hungry when I'm in my eating window. So I just don't want to eat. And then I'm losing weight, but I don't want to lose weight, but I'm not hungry, so I don't want to eat. Um, so for those people, what I say is we have to take a break from fasting for a bit and we get them on the carbs. <laughs> so, you know, we don't want people just like not being hungry at all. You know, that is not the goal. We want you to be hungry. You know, what's great about fasting is done correctly for the right person. When you're hungry, you're, you're genuinely hungry and you eat a meal and you're satisfied. You know, you're not just hungry all the time. Um, and you can differentiate between when you're getting a little mild reminder because you normally eat versus when you're genuinely hungry. So mm. if, if you've realized those signals have just stopped, then you've probably gone too far and you need to wheel it back. So um, yeah, go back to eating more often for a couple of weeks, have more signs of carbohydrates, you know, healthy, whole food yeah. carbohydrates, veggies, you know, rice, sourdough, bread, whatever it is you want. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just about making sure that you're, you're checking in with yourself. And if your goal is genuinely to get some of those longevity benefits, those like anti-aging benefits, and you're trying not to lose weight, if you're losing weight, do something about it. You know, don't just kind of go, oh, well, you know, now I'm underweight. That's, that's not a helpful state. Mm-hmm. And being underweight, just like being overweight, is not going to help you live longer. It's going to shorten your lifespan. So, you know, don't, don't aim for that as a goal. So pretty much just... Yeah, just uh, keep keep track of your weight and see if you're losing weight drastically, then up your carbs potentially. Um, um, for some people, yeah, not for everyone, but yeah, yeah. sometimes. Okay, cool, cool. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was, that was <laughs> amazing. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. And anyone who is looking to learn in more detail, about intermittent fasting, make sure you check out Amanda's book, Intermittent Fasting <laughs> for Beginners. So where can they find this book? Um, so you can get it on my website, so nutritionistblend.com. Um, you can also get it on Amazon as a Kindle edition or as a hard copy. Um, but I know you've got followers all around the world. If you're in America or Canada, it's widely available in bookstores as well. So Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, those kinds of things. Fantastic. You've also got some other things on your website. I know you have these, um, we was talking about earlier. I normally have one in my office here. But I have it. Here it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. <laughs> Fasting Plus. These uh, fat strips. So they are organic uh, coconut fat with some polyphenols. And what are, what are the herbs that it has in there? You've got a few other things in there, isn't it? Um, so basically it's healthy fat from coconut oil. So, um, virgin cold pressed coconut oil, good, the good stuff. Um, then everything else is high in these, these kind of, um, polyphenols that support fasting. Um, so we've got sea buckthorn berries, uh, we've got turmeric and, um, passion fruit. So they have a blend of different polyphenols in there. So mm. we've got some quercetin in there. We've got some resveratrol analogs. Um, we've got some curcumin. So lots of good stuff just to help you with your fast. Yeah, superb. And I've taken them on many occasions. Like it's, <laughs> it's like my emergency toolkit. And sometimes I can push the fast. And sometimes my body says, come on, we need something, bro. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll have that in my pocket or in my bag take a couple of those takes i don't know maybe about 10 minutes to kick in or probably less and i'm like oh okay i'm cool <laughs> it's great it's and that's, great 
and that's perfect but obviously if you're having a day where you know that's how it works in your body and you took two because you're obviously a bigger guy most people need one say for example you took two and 10 minutes later you still felt hungry you know to eat a meal you know it's just Mm. it's just a good kind of like it helps but it doesn't mask it if you need a meal because you've just gone too far your body will still go oi eat some proper food and so this will get you so far but it won't you know it will, it will buy you time. It will buy you It'll time. It will buy you time. <laughs> That's excellent. It's like willpower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, thanks again. I greatly appreciate it. Um, so what is your website again? Um, www.nutritionists, with an S on the end, blend.com. Okay, um, awesome. And you are also on Instagram? Yeah, same handle, at Nutritionist Blend. I'm also on Facebook, at Nutritionist Blend. Excellent. On Twitter or YouTube yet? No, neither of those. Okay, absolutely fine. (laughs) One day, maybe. One day, maybe. Yeah, of course. I'm going to put this information in the show notes so people can just click on it and visit your website and your social media handle. So, yeah, thank you very much. I'm... I'm happy. <laughs> I learned Yay, a lot of great that's stuff. That's the main right? thing. Yes, Good. yes. Much appreciated, Amanda. And uh, hopefully time. I'll see you at the Health Optimization Summit uh, this year if COVID-19 doesn't take over <laughs> the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Best. You take care. No take care. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome. But some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.